So welcome everyone. In our latest How They Did It episode, we speak with Maryborough District Health Services CEO, Nicola Allen, and Director of Infrastructure, Technology and Experience, David Edwards, on how their hospital is transforming the patient experience to deliver better health outcomes to the whole community. Now, it's a really exciting new era for healthcare in the Maryborough community, and David and Nicola have recently led MDHS through a period of significant change across the organisation, overseeing a $100 million redevelopment project of the hospital and the surrounds due for completion in 2025. Now, in this episode, we discuss the approach that the MDHS team and leaders took to understand the patient and carer's experiences, and actually some of the smaller and surprising fixes that are making a huge difference to changing the healthcare story at Maryborough. We talk about Nicola's belief of using the mantra, appropriate care, appropriate place to innovate for primary care patients. Also, the strategic steps that both David and Nicola took to enhance the staff experience, that employee experience, and their well-being in the wake of COVID in multiple waves, and the advice they have for other leaders who are tackling this kind of large-scale organisational change, and the necessity of investing in your people and bringing them across the co-design process, particularly if you want to de-risk innovation and do it in real time. Now, a little bit of background about Nicola and David. Nicola, as CEO of MDHS, is playing a leading role in changing the healthcare story for communities in regional Victoria. She's got more than 20 years' experience in public health and has redeveloped expertise in patient safety, risk management, and improving outcomes and systems. David is a strategic leader in regional health and is committed to finding new and innovative ways to use patient, client and staff experiences to drive clinical and non-clinical change and instigate, uh, implement rather, new systems. We really hope you enjoy this episode. It's been an absolute pleasure here at NA to be able to partner with the team at Maryborough across this transformational project. I'm sure you're going to enjoy hearing from the very genuine and very articulate Nicola and David on this topic. Enjoy. Well, welcome Nicola Allen and David Edwards to the Naked Ambition podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you both here today. Thank you, Fee. It's great to be here. Yes, thanks, Fiona. We're looking forward to our conversation today. So am I. This has been a really long time coming and I think it's going to be an amazing discussion about what has been a really special body of work for for our crew here, um, but also more broadly for the community that you're impacting. Nick, I'd love to kick off with you. Just for our listeners here, can you give us a bit of a background about MDHS? Tell us about the hospital and the community. So we are a multi-campus, three-campus health service, and we're branded a local-sized health service. Um, we service about 15,000 community members across both Avoca, Denali, and Maryborough itself. Um, we provide services, I like to encapsulate it as from um, birth to death and everything in between. Um, so we've got 94 aged care beds, a full suite of acute services and community services, which are all integrated with one another. So um, it's not a standalone community services. Our allied health teams are embedded in everything that we do, um, as well as dental services as well. 
We also provide some non-traditional um, health services or health systems on site, such as the Orange Door Partnership, where we have Centre for Nonviolence, um, members of the Bendigo District and Aboriginal Co-op on site, members of Anglicare. It's a really great wraparound service to ensure that both victims, but also perpetrators of family violence are supported along that journey, um, as well as Loddon Camp Aspie Legal Service. Not health at all, but it means that our cl um, clients can access those help that help when they need them. And then we also have psych services provided by Bendigo Health on site as well. So a bit of everything. Mm, that's huge, isn't it? And it's um thank you so much because I think that's really important for the context of some of what we're going to talk about today, the, the the magnitude of the impact that you have across the community because of the diversity of those services as well. So again, um, just staying on you, Nick. So since becoming CEO in 2020, what a year to become CEO, by the way. <laughs> just right. <laughs> uh, you have initiated uh, a, a fairly, it says fairly large scale, I was going to say, but I think really a, an enormous transformation at MDHS, which really is underway at the moment. Can you give us a bit of a flavour for some of this work? Yeah, sure. So when I started as you say, back in 2020 in the, the height of really when the pandemic was kicking off, our strategic plan was coming to an end. Um, so we saw this as a really unique opportunity to really reset um, and set the scene for what was going to be a, a really exciting next four years ahead for us as a health service. Um, we all know that we've got the $100 million um, bipartisan announcement at the last election, which meant we were going to have this extraordinary new build on site. Coupled with our new student accommodation, um, we wanted to make sure that our strategic plan and vision had our community and our staff voice built through throughout the whole part of the plan. I didn't want to create a plan that sat on a shelf for four years and then we, you know, all get together in four years' time and pat each other on the back and say, well done, we've achieved everything. I wanted it to be a plan that lived and that was really, it made sense to people within the organisation but also out in the community. So we had to have um, those voices intertwined and living within the document and I think we've been successfully able to do that when we launched the strategic plan um, earlier this year. Mm. Um, underpinned within that too, we we saw a real opportunity, and I know David will talk about this later, but a real opportunity to ensure we had our patient voice embedded within the new models of care within the new build. And to do that, we needed to understand patient experiences from as they enter the health service to when they exit the health service and everywhere in between. So um, we just saw it was a really unique, we're in a really unique position to be able to launch a strategic plan and understand patient experience at the same time. Um, I think if we had have done patient experience at the end, once the build was already complete, we would have absolutely missed, missed the boat and missed the mark and missed that opportunity to really have um, our community voice living strong within the build. David, building on what Nick has just spoken about there, and can we stay on the topic of how the building fits in with all of this? It's obviously an enormous part of this transformation. What's on the cards there? Yeah, well, I think uh, $100 million sounds like a big number. It certainly did from my perspective, coming to the health service and taking on a project that from my own personal perspective was certainly way bigger than I'd ever managed before working in health uh, in previous uh, guises and roles. Um, but yeah, look, it's 
in simple terms, really, we're getting a, all the acute health services are being rebuilt on the site. Um, so, yeah, we'll have a new 32-bed inpatient unit. We'll have um, two birthing suites in that space instead of one. We'll have uh, two theatres in that space instead of one. We've got um, in the space uh, also our oncology and renal dialysis services will be in, in that new build and they will go up in terms of the number of chairs and capacity that we've got to service those clients in that uh, stream. And um, I think we've got about 12, 20 consulting rooms, which is pretty much doubling the capacity of the health service to um, you know, bring specialists and others to utilise the service and hopefully provide new opportunities for us to expand services to the community. And then I guess the whole um, ability to redevelop our urgent care and medical imaging services as well, so that we've got, you know, a better platform and a more integrated, connected um, service in that space as well. Mm. Beautiful. So you're now Deputy CEO at MDHS, but at the time when this project started, you were responsible for the patient experience stream. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about how understanding more about the patient experience really has begun to fit in with these plans for the new build and beyond? Yeah, look, I think building on what Nick said earlier, we, we just really wanted to make sure uh, that we felt... It, it, going back, I guess, really to the, the strategic plan objectives and, the, and that ability and recognition that we had a new vision and it was about changing the healthcare story with our community. And to do that, we really needed to have more information and, and have a deeper understanding of what that meant um, across the different clinical service areas that were going to be part of the new build. But in any of our clinical services areas, we were, I think, really understood that that was... Um, a crucial part if we couldn't understand the stories of our patients and our clients then how could we change the story um and so yeah i think uh that was the initial you know impetus but i think equally then we recognize the opportunity to use that engagement to help understand too how our current buildings either you know benefited and supported our patient uh journey and experience but I guess also acknowledging that we knew there were things about an existing building that probably they didn't really like either and, and they'd like to make sure we are included in the new build. So um, we, we, I think, spent uh, a, almost an equal amount of time trying to drill in on the things that would really help our uh, patients have a better experience, get better treatment and, and, and a greater environment that could support their uh, health care um, and recovery. Um, and so then that led into a whole um, section of time where we then had specialist presentations and engagement with the architects and the consultants on the build to share that information with them just to make sure that we got that integrated into the design uh, at every level and across each program area. Yeah. And a great time to be doing this. It's still, it's still rare. You know, you are one of the rare hospitals to be actually looking at the, the patient voice to be central to what you're trying to do across the whole experience from the built space right through to you know every single touch point um, but at the same time it is exciting because there's so much change going on out there and so much to be inspired by as well 
I wanted to double back, actually. I think there's a really interesting question just as I'm hearing you both speak. Do you want to give us a bit of background, Nick, on, you know, we're talking about this vision of changing the healthcare story in the community. Can you give us a bit of insight on what is the healthcare story in Maryborough that we, and, and the shift that you're really trying to drive? Yeah. So, Look, for a long time, there's been some negative connotations about health outcomes and um, social determinants of health. And we often appear on the top of the tree for all of the wrong reasons. And we saw this as an opportunity to start to shift that narrative about actually what's great about living and working and being part of a community such as Maryborough. We know that there's, you know, over time there are slow shifts in information and slow shifts in data trends and we've seen us, you know, go from first in the state to second in the state and I'm going to take any little bit of decline down down those rungs. Um, And that's about empowering our community to really take ownership of their healthcare. We can't do things to people um, and I'm really, really mindful of that and that's why we really wanted to come up with something that was with community and that's really empowering everybody to celebrate the good the good things about living working being part of a community such as Maryborough because a lot of regional towns have very similar um, profiles and and stories to tell and we wanted to really utilize that in a broader community context to really shift that that narrative and really make Maryborough um a positive in people's minds as opposed to sometimes that negative connotation that comes with Scary Borough as it's been titled, which I despise and loathe. And I think any opportunity we can get to change that, then we should absolutely be doing that as leaders in the community. Absolutely. And And so we can work here. I'm part of the community. I I don't drive in, drive out. I am part and I get to hear and see that every day. So I think any little part we can play in shifting that, then we should absolutely be doing that. And highlighting so many of those positive stories. Oh, there's there's so many, so many. Yeah, beautiful. So let's stay on that because you've just touched on there. Of course, you live, you know, a short drive from the hospital. This is your community. Your kids are growing up here. You know, you're now the CEO, but you were the director of clinical services and and a num before that. You know, so what are your non-negotiables, Nick, when it comes to the kinds of experiences that we need to be giving patients? Um, Our team will hear me talk about this often. We provide customer service. Healthcare is a customer service industry. Um, Yes, there is clinical expertise and that's an expectation that we all understand what that role is. But really at the heart of it is actually giving people a really positive experience when they enter. And that starts with a smile at the front door. We talk about for us um, the hello test and walking through the hallway and no one should fail the hello test. And that is just a simple hello, making eye contact and just saying hello to someone. Really, really simple steps, but it's a huge sign of respect. Um, But on, on top of that, It is the little things that make the biggest difference when you are a consumer of health. Um, And as a parent um, who's had a child who's been in hospital, it's the small things. It's not all of the, gee whiz, you can do an ECG beautifully. You remember the, would you like a cup of tea or the hand on your shoulder? Those, Those things, how you were communicated with, how your family members were communicated with, all of those things change your patient experience. 
So I will often at induction and other other um, important meetings or um, opportunities to talk with staff, and I use I take it off, and I'm often lost walking around the hospital. People will forget that I've. <laughs> You know, I'm meant to be in a meeting and Sharon's trying to find me because I've got distracted because I'm having a chat. Um, that is that, you know, we do provide customer service. It's really, really important. And people remember, they'll remember bad, they'll remember a bad, and it's usually related to that personal interaction you have with someone. So that's front of mind for me is not negotiable. It's making that a positive experience and it's the little things mm. that people forget. And it's not because they intentionally do, but it's just making sure, putting yourself in that position if it was you, and that's how we came out with our promise statements. Mm. Our staff said, if I was if I was that person, this is how I would expect to be treated. I would expect this every time from a consistency point of view that this is how I'm treated every time. Mm. I think you've spoken about that consistently since the very first time that we met, that kindness just needs, it's about kindness, needs to be at the absolute core of everything. It's kind of a simple rule of life. Just mm. be kind. Mm. You know, the world would be a lovely place if everybody was kind all the time. Yes. Another rule I thought that was beautiful we heard from your team talking about the experiences they create is the mother rule as well, so that, you know, if you see the way a patient's being treated, is that how you would expect your mother or you'd be happy with your mother being treated and if not, change something fast? Exactly. Beautiful. Okay, so do you want to, I'd love to actually flip a little bit here and I'll go to this for both of you for this question, actually. So this is about, so we've spoken about, you know, where Maryborough is currently as a community, the, the healthcare story, what you're shifting, where you're shifting things in terms of the vision, the purpose and the strategy. What is your vision for the sorts of experiences that you really want to provide at MDHS? And maybe we'll go to you first, David, with this question. Yeah, look, I think for me, um, the, the sort of experiences that I'm hoping that our team and uh, become known for is that we're able to um, help find the things that matter to uh, our patients and clients. It, it could be something totally unrelated to their healthcare need um, or presenting challenge that we're helping support them with, but that we take the little bit extra time so that we can tailor and, and, and do something memorable that our patients will go, that wasn't necessarily required or expected, but that really made a difference to how I felt like Maryborough and their staff cared for me in a way that was really, yeah, special. And it, and it made me feel special that they were prepared to um, do something more, you know, over and above what was expected just to, in the sense of good healthcare. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, the sort of stories and, and the things that, for me, I'd love to see we can foster and encourage across the organisation. Have either of you got any stories that, of things that you've seen to date where some of that shift is starting to be felt? Whether it's something that the team have told you they're starting to see more of or if it's coming directly from patients either? I've seen some beautiful um, feedback come through in the last couple of weeks and it has been those small things that have made a difference. Um, 
and taking that time to understand. And I think Heather Blasco, who's our um, Associate Director of Nursing, actually touched base with a patient who wanted to share their experience. Um, and it was a couple of years ago. But from that listening to their story um, and unpacking all of the complexities within that, there was some really beautiful things that came from it. But what it's meant now is we have an active consumer who wants to assist in educating staff on what their experience was like and how simple things can have an actual um, endgame impact for the patient. I think that's really powerful. And the fact that we've got people wanting to come forward and I think for me that's a real shift. There's a real people's willingness to want to be involved actively in that shift I think is, you know, for me a really great example where you can see, see that narrative shift. Mm. That is truly the community taking control there. Really Absolutely. Yeah. We talk about you don't know what you don't know. So unless people are telling you where you've got opportunities, you know, to whether it's service recover or actually change systems and processes. And I mm. think, you know, people are now trusting that we're going to do something with it when we get that information. And for me, that's that's huge. Yeah, it's beautiful. Anything come to mind for you, David? Um. I just listening to that, it was more just the, um, the bit that I guess for me too is um, really important to help our impetus of change is mm -hmm. just that when it's our patients sharing their experience and their story, we have a, it's so much more powerful than me and Nick saying you need to do something or this is you know, not good enough. It, it cuts through. It just helps people really get back to why they... You know, a nursing or you know support working within a health context and I think genuinely most people have come to often be in health because they want to care they want to go above and beyond to support people and, and help them get a good outcome mm. um, so yeah that when you hear it from the patient um, and the client it just helps yeah really make the change so much more real and easier for us to get our teams engaged and supportive of um, helping make a difference, whatever that might be. Yeah. And two great examples of what you just, you know, you said we don't want strategies or plans or things that just sit in the drawer or this is the small incremental changes that we can start to see be visible immediately. So, no, really well done. Let's stay on the, that topic of the, the larger scale transformation. I think everything that's happening at the moment and the town, because I just hear you both speak so passionately about this. And I think it's so important. Like, What do you think all of this change could mean for one, the town of Maryborough and even the surrounding Goldfields, Pyrenees regions? So for me, destination employer, um, you know, a new beautiful state-of-the-art facility um, with a really positive culture makes us a really attractive, you know, proposition for really great. We're, we've got an enormous, um, you know, over 400 staff members who are all phenomenal and all play such an important part of connecting our community to great care um, that, you know, being able to celebrate those gives us an opportunity. I, you know, we refer to our building at the minute as a squash spider. It's got lots of little bits tacked on the side. And I think to be able to, one, have our new build is one of the big feature points, but also our beautiful old heritage building coming back to life as well really gives back to the community that sense of pride. We will be a hub of the hub of health um, 
for for Maryborough and I think a destination on many different fronts, not just from a health care perspective. This will be, a, for me, a joint community ownership around, you know, we're all in this together around health outcomes and that's, for me, what I think the new transformation of the build and strategy will have um, on town, on, on Maryborough. Mm, beautiful. David, from your perspective? Yeah, look, and I absolutely support what Nick's saying about that destination employer. And I think it's, you know, we, we're <laughs> during this COVID and challenge, you know, workforce and the ability to attract and retain, it's just become such a critical part of being able to sustain and, and support the business. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, that's absolutely something we're looking forward to. Um, but I think probably equally the other thing that's going to be great is we, we will have more capacity. So And that new build, um, I think, will be something that we can attract, you know, new specialists, new services to uh, Maryborough. And that's, you know, we know there's still opportunity for us to do more um, and to, you know, enable um, the community to receive services closer to home. So I think this... Um, you know, will also give us that capacity to expand and grow as well. So, yeah, I think that is going to be transformational for the community. I think... Above yeah. the physical walls and, you know, bricks and mortar. Yeah. I think the oncology piece is a perfect example of that, David. We know before um, we recommenced oncology in partnership with Grampians Health Ballarat that people were forgoing treatment they would actually not have treatment because of the thought of travel. So to be able to provide alternative solutions locally is so very important. We don't have um, the ability for patients to travel easily to, to receive you know, treatment. There is always going to be a requirement for people to travel for specialists. We understand that. We can't be all things to all people, but what we can provide locally, then we work really hard to try and do that, to remove that tyranny of distance and really enable access that might not be there. Um, and, you know, we've been toying with the idea of TARDISes and telehealth um, units and things where people can come in and see a specialist and not have to drive two hours, um, really supporting that place-based opportunity, I think, for me, is really, really important and a great opportunity with this as well. Can you stay on that? Because I think that's a really interesting topic for our listeners as well of like some of the bigger challenges and how the patient experience is one part of that. But from an innovation perspective, both of you have been enormous advocates at looking at what else is happening out there that would suit the, the context that you're in. So what do you mean by the TARTUS, Nick? What's that? What's that? Oh, look, we've joked about it in the, you know, if a Doctor Who kind of sense, but, um, you know, having a space where because, you know, urgent care is urgent care. It's not an emergency department. It's not staffed by a medical officer. It requires our GPs to be on call and our nursing staff to make assessments and triage, which, which works really well. But often people, um, you know, might work nine to five and they then, you know, can't get access to a GP. So urgent care is sometimes seen as an alternative. But if we can provide something different, which means they don't have to enter the urgent care centre, they can get the right assessment, right treatment, right um, plan within a telehealth booth, whatever that may look like. Um, for us, that's a real opportunity around just keep reinforcing that, you know, appropriate care, appropriate place, and then diverting. And if people do need to come into urgent care, the 
TARDIS, for whatever better term, may divert them there as well. So it's just about trying to identify different solutions from a local context point of view. Mm. Um, the primary care, primary care piece is very topical at the moment um, and we know that it's, a, it's difficult access. So anything we can do to partner either locally with our GPs or with a different modality, um, we use My Emergency Doctor currently in urgent care. So whatever we can do to try and build upon that to ensure timely access to care, then we're, we're really open to that at thinking a little bit outside the box or in the box, whichever you want to say. <laughs> yeah, follow-on question from that, actually really interesting for both of you. What, you know, I think you're both naturally really innovative thinkers. You're very, um, you know, you're activators as well. You're just making things happen. Are there other hospitals, companies, like where do you go for inspiration or what inspires you when you think about the vision that you have for Maryborough? Um, and, and where you want to take things. You can take this either from an innovation perspective or even just, you know, the, the sorts of experiences that you want to create. David, do you want to go? Hey, David, do you want to go? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we've done some stuff where we have visited other health services, you know, so I guess we've been lucky enough to be quite close to Bendigo and they've got, you know, obviously a, a relatively new facility and, and, and have certainly implemented a range of new... Uh, systems and processes there um, but I think too you know for, for me personally I think sometimes in health we've got to just be a bit brave to go outside the square and, and maybe run our own race and, and be a little bit prepared to take a risk and, and that's probably something that you know obviously we don't have unlimited budgets to necessarily do that but I think um, yeah sometimes um, yeah I think the solutions are there within our own means and capability. And sometimes they don't have to be too um, radical in that sense, but you've got to be prepared to maybe take a risk um, and do something a bit out of the box. I, I'm really open and, and you should be looking outside your four walls. I think you'd be really naive to think you've got every solution internally. You know, I, I think, there's a lot to be learnt from private enterprise. There's a lot to be learnt for even organisations like McDonald's or, you know, hotels. We've talked a lot about hotels in terms of um, our accommodation processes and things like that. There's a, and there's, yeah, I just think you need to just have an open lens all the time. And, and I think don't be too proud to say that you've got all of the answers and looking at exemplars of lots of different industry, I think is a really good way to identify opportunities that might not necessarily have niched with healthcare before, but they certainly can into the future. Mm. Beautiful. Uh, I want to just talk a little bit about the work specifically that each of that, that you have done around trying to understand more about the patient experience. So we were lucky to work together on this piece around some doing some pretty extensive customer listening and even some early testing of some new experiences um, or slightly improved experiences for patients as well. Is there anything that really surprised you, any aha moments for you that you didn't necessarily expect when it comes to, to what you heard as part of this research? Care is in a kettle. Um, so for me, I think, um, you know, one of the things that both Nick and I uh, both stood back and said, I can't believe that we don't have a kettle in our renodialysis unit for our <laughs> patients to have a cuppa. 
how hard is that for us to get organised? So I think, yeah, we were, you know, sometimes you, it's the most simple things that you can learn and change and they can be so quick and easy. And so, yeah, I think it's just a really good reminder that, there's a, you know, um, about how important it is to listen because, yeah, you can find stuff out that is just seems really obvious and shouldn't be something that people have had to put up with. Um, but I think the other side for me was the carer's story was probably the other opportunity. It, it's obviously a much bigger piece and certainly way more challenging to um, implement change on. So I think it's probably one still we've got more work to do um, to implement our vision in that area. But yeah, certainly hearing it from patients and their carers, we realised that there was so much more opportunity for us to integrate them into um, the diagnosis and, and initial assessment work that we were doing just to make sure that we were getting a, a cross-referencing and another source of information that could help us to better diagnose what was going on for a patient, especially in urgent care environments, um, but also to just understanding the role that you know, carers play beyond the healthcare hospital experience and how that can potentially be supported and really help um, our patients, you know, return to wellness um, uh, post their, their stay or their experience, whatever it might have been with the hospital. So, yeah, I think that were the two things for me that stood out from the research. But mm. I still can't get past the kettle. It's still another, like, oh, my I think the, the, the patient um, advocate, whomever that be, I think for me is, as David's described, so important. And in fact, the importance of listening and actively listening to their storytelling is so important. And it gives us an opportunity, you know, forever and a day we've had only volunteers in aged care, but in fact, volunteers would be so incredibly helpful in areas like urgent care and acute services to help navigate some of those complexities because, you know, nursing staff and allied health, everyone's, you know, got things to do and there is that opportunity to, to be that connector kind of um, role within. So I think we should always be looking outside and, and really I think active listening is, is the key to that. And, you know, I think the day surgery component, we know we, there's a lot of knowns that we knew about the environment we're in at the minute and what an opportunity the new, the new um, two theatres will look like in terms of confidentiality and calm and quiet and those kind of things. So, yeah, there's really important messages that we need to harness and take forward um, and build upon. Yeah, beautiful. So a couple of really concrete examples there. The, the volunteers one is so important as well, isn't it, as an opportunity area. And it's you, what they like to call in this biz, the low-hanging fruit, I suppose, because you do have a very motivated volunteer community as well. So how do you leverage that group? Kettles and carers. <laughs> is beautiful as well so thank you both for that so good um this one is I think even more relevant for right now you know there's always incredible you know living and breathing care as you both do and in the environment that you work in how do you keep up the momentum and the focus for this kind of work both you know 
across the board. We're talking innovation. We're talking some of the strategic priorities that you've got during the COVID times when this and other kind of curveballs come your way. Do you want to take the first one here, Nick? Yeah. Um, cool. Um, I think for me, the here and now um, and the important things that I kind of spend time thinking about and unpacking is well-being. Um, and I know we've talked a lot about um, patient experience, um, but in fact, our staff experience is really important as well. And we know the last two years have not been um, as easy on healthcare providers as what it um, as what we would have hoped. But um, I think that and the promise statements really that were born out of um, this the strategic planning exercise actually underpin that as well, because the promises are applicable to our teams internally as what they are to our patients, because we know that in fact, if our staff are feeling cared for and well, then our patients will feel cared for and well as well. So for me, that's a really high priority of how we can harness this work to really help leverage and build resilience and well-being amongst our staff group. Mm. David, what are your Yeah, look, I think um, sort of two things that sort of came to my mind about this one was one that we made a decision it's probably when we were putting our budget together for the previous financial year, so roughly one year into COVID, and we were just mulling over one of the things that we thought we could do in that wellness and, and supporting our staff space. And, and we made a simple decision that we were going to try and keep our um, employee entitlements at a level lower than they were the year before. So all that really meant was that we had to help schedule and support our teams have holiday. So, you know, that meant that over this 12 months, we were really deliberate about how we supported our managers and our teams to make sure we were proactively, you know, having conversations to help people get some time out, get away and hopefully recharge um, and come back refreshed to have a, another go. Because I think, you know, we've really... In health, it's been that whole cycle, you know, on a roller coaster, and you just have to keep coming back. Um, every time you think it's sort of over, it's, you know, we're back in, in another cycle, and we've just got to pick ourselves up again and, and, uh, and have a, another crack at it. So I think, you know, it was um, a deliberate strategy, and we achieved it. So, I'm, you know, from my point of view, in the context of the fact that we yeah, were still actively managing a lot of challenges with COVID, but we were, were very deliberate in doing that. I think then the second point was just to acknowledge that that sometimes meant that we didn't, we had to basically be and make some hard decisions to enable that to happen. So at times we limited our bed numbers. We, you know, we, we had to, for a period, um, have a, a closure of our theatre for a, a, an extended period um, and acknowledging that, talking to the community and, and, and helping them understand why that was happening. It wasn't just obviously because of annual leave plans, but, um, you know, I think sometimes to enable that to happen and to enable that sustainability and wellbeing to be able to be put in place for our staff, we had to potentially make some tough calls and even though that may have come potentially with some some impacts from some of our regional providers and others who may have expected us to, to not, you know, to be available and support them more fully. But you just have to be, I think, self-sufficient in this environment. There is no 
in inverted commas surge workforce necessarily that you've got out there. there there's no cavalry. Um, and we've obviously, and I think most health services have realized that over the journey. So yeah, putting those proactive strategies and plans in place has been something that's really made a difference and helped our staff and our team be able to be um, resilient and to keep keeping on. Yeah, and the value of partnerships too, David, has really been um, important over the last, particularly the last 12 months when for the first 12 months, COVID really didn't impact regional Victoria, nowhere near like it did in metropolitan Melbourne. We were kind of in this bubble. I think we'd had one case for the first 12 months of COVID. So um, that second 12 months, I think that, you know, the really great leverage opportunities to work with your partners like council, um, public health units, your larger centres, and we could all work together to find solutions to those wicked, more wicked problems. And I think that was that is something that, you know, we should continue on into the future as well as a priority piece. And it's given us an opportunity to do things um, that we might not have done otherwise. So, yeah, it's that for me is also something that is always front of mind as well. Mm. So good to end with some of the silver linings on that one though as well. But I like the fact that you both started with the people, you know, your people absolutely at the centre of this, everything. Our team is one of our key pillars in the strategic plan and we talk about it often. Our most important resource, they are without our team, we, none of us exist. So um, that's the, for me, that's the value um, our team are our greatest asset and we have to support them in whatever way we can. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'd be really interesting as well for listeners to understand what you mean by the promise statements because I've read these and they're pretty impactful and we shout out to our mates at Visibility, your partners for that, Sarah and Jules over there. Can you tell us what those are, Nick? Yeah, so... They were, we asked in particular community, but also staff, if you were a patient or your loved one was a patient, what do you expect from us as care providers? So there are four simple statements and you'll understand why I say they're applicable to how we treat each other as well, because for me, they really resonate um, from that internal culture piece as well. So we seek to understand you as a person, not as a condition. Um, we care for you with compassion and kindness. We treat you fairly and respectfully on every occasion, not just sometimes, every time. It's that consistency piece that's really important. And we'll keep you safe with honest and informed communication. I think that, that harnesses and really leverages off what David spoke about before with the patient experience and journey piece was that, in fact, communication is really important um, so everybody is aware of what's happening. So... Yeah, they are, they are really powerful, but in, in that they are really simple as well um, for that reason. So everybody can understand. And we're doing some work now around um, with our teams, actually helping them describe what a promise keeper looks like mm. and how we can all sign off on that from an agreement point of view. So everybody feels the same level of accountability um, and understanding of those as well. Yeah. Beautiful. So I do have one last question for each of you as leaders. What is your advice to other leaders if they're thinking about doing something this transformational in their organisations? 
Do you want to go first, Dave? Yeah, I've got a nice easy one from my perspective anyway, and that is um, in terms of the capital project, get yourself a great project manager. And I think from Nick and my perspective, you know, we've, um, we're super lucky to recruit a really experienced and um, shrewd operator in Frank Sawyer. Um, and he just helps keep the project on track, including the consultants. And he helps keep Nick and I informed and, you know, so there's no surprises all on the journey. And so, yeah, knowing how the industry is really stretched and, you know, we've been super lucky to recruit and get such a high quality project manager to support us in our, you know, significant work that we're trying to do in this space. And yeah, for me, that's just made my job so much easier. So, yeah. Um, for me, there's a couple of things. One, um, invest in your people. Yeah. Don't be afraid to say that you don't know everything and, in fact, seek out those people who are actually smarter than you and have those skills that you don't possess. Um, I think we can fall victim to ego sometimes and I actually think there's a real strength um, in being vulnerable and saying, I don't know, um, because you can't know everything. Um, invest in comms. <laughs> um, we, for, yeah... With Katie Perry, our marketing and comms manager, is just at <laughs> such an asset to our organisation and um, just keeps that strategic vent and lens and supportive in terms of how we communicate um, really actively with community. And that's something I think we sometimes struggle with in health is being able to communicate in a way that people can access and understand. Katie will always ask us, but is that how people will access it? Is that going to really get to where it needs to? Um, and I think engaging with people who are specialties, have specialists in areas, you know, the team at Visibility in terms of setting up our strategic comms plan, so important to help us navigate that system and um, really lean into where we, we wanted to go to. The same, you know, the patient experience work, we would never have been able to do this on our own. So being able to engage um, with Naked Ambition has meant that we've got something that we can then you know template and use to help drive us forward into the future so yeah for me it is about investing in your people and then knowing when to call out and ask for help with people that can do that for you I don't think there's, there's I don't think it's a weakness to say you can't do it on your own amazing well, thank you both so much for this conversation. Um, I have got so much out of this personally. I'm sure that our listeners have as well. Um, I will say if, if there is anyone out there that is really keen to follow up on anything that you've spoken about today, um, where should they reach you? I think we've both got handles on LinkedIn. It sounds very, very hip having a handle. <laughs> Really, you've got a handle. I said, oh, do I? <laughs> um, or, you know, reach out by the health service. We're easy to access. Um, Sharon Walker, our EA, will hook you up. There's, there's no doubt. And we're really happy to, to engage with anyone. I think this is, you know, we should be sharing more. That's, I think, there's so many learnings we can get from other people. So, yeah, happy to, happy to have a chat. Mm. Thank you both so much for contributing to this conversation. Nick and David are also very active on LinkedIn, so you won't have trouble finding some of the great stories that they do share, some of what we've spoken about today, but really 
I think really candidly and openly and generously sharing their journey on how they are doing this work and, and making so much enormous change and changing the healthcare story really in the Maryborough community. So thank you both for today. And we look forward to seeing more of these amazing stories out there very soon. Thanks, Faye. Yeah, thanks, Fiona. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Naked Ambition podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did like what you heard, please do subscribe wherever you get your pods or even better, leave us a rating and a comment. And of course, if you have any questions about anything we discussed or you're keen to do something similar in your organisation, don't hesitate to get in touch with us here at Naked Ambition or even drop me a line, Fiona Triarca, via a direct message on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you.